Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. But today we're going to get around the Word of God. We are in a series called Heaven Now. Heaven Now. And I want to read a passage of Scripture just while you stay standing. So grab your Bible out real quick. Grab your Bible off your seat. If you don't have one, steal your neighbours before they can get theirs. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, in a longer section of Scripture that we've been studying and will continue to unpack over this series. Verse 15 is where I want to read from, but let me prepare you, brace yourself. Because Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce uh, bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Today I am thoroughly excited to continue in our Heaven Now series and unpack what I feel it means to be a true disciple. That's what I'm calling this sermon, this installment, True disciples. Are you sure you're ready for the Word of God today? Do we need to warm up with another worship song just to get your heart ready and your mind engaged? I, I, I feel it's going to be a, an intense one, but, but I didn't come here to muck around. I, I didn't come here to play. I came here to do business with God and to lead you closer to Him, to lead you into the revelation of what it is He has for you. So may, maybe I could pray today and prepare our hearts. Could I do that? God, we, we, we declare our hearts as soil talking about good fruit in your word. Lord, let our hearts be good soil. So Lord, the seed that is planted today can produce the good fruit you're talking about in our lives. Lord, that's what we desire. We desire to bear the fruit of your kingdom, the fruit of your name. So God, I pray that you would do what it is that you need to do today in our lives. Lord, we put ourselves on the altar for you to alter, to alter us and to change us and to transform us. Lord, making us more into your image. We pray and we say, have your way, Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right, go ahead. Find five people around you. Say, I hope you're a true disciple. Do it real quick. Do it real quick. Man, I have to commend Ronell and Sophia getting married on Friday. And check that out. Could be on a honeymoon. However... What is more exciting than the house of the Lord? I'm telling you. So excited for you guys. I also have to do a little shout out to uh, Andrew and Paula. Who are finally engaged. Finally engaged. 
if you felt the lights were brighter coming off that stage, it was Paola's massive ring, by the way. And uh, I knew I was paying Andrew too much. However, he, he made it. He made it happen. Congratulations. We have got so many people getting married and uh, so many good marriages. How many people love being married here at Vibe Church? You love marriage. In fact, it's fascinating because we've been trying to, for a little while with the team, we've been trying to plan a marriage seminar. Well, marriage retreat is how it started. And, and then every time we like, kind of put the idea of a marriage retreat out there, we literally had hundreds of couples say, I want to go. And there was no retreat place that would house hundreds of people. So now we're kind of trying to think, how do we put it into a seminar? Like literally a, a, a mini, mini conference because we've got so many people. And it's not because marriages are particularly troublesome, but because everybody knows the power of a good marriage. And... Uh, and so what we have is we have these plans coming together. So don't worry if you are married. We've got some help coming your way. Marriages need help. Marriages need help. Did you really just say, I need help? You, my wife. In fact, funny story about my wife is when, when we were first married, we've been married 20 years. Uh, when we were first married, she would constantly say to me, um, do I still have mystery? Like all the time. She's nodding her head. It's the truth. Like, she, she just randomly likes, do I still have mystery? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? Like, she had this deep desire that even like a year, two years in, to still have mystery, to, to be mysterious. That, that the mystery around her life would compel me to pursue her, that I could find out more about her. That she, she had this understanding, I hope I still have mystery. I hope I still have mystery. And it finally got to the point where I was like, babe, we've been married for a minute. I know everything about you, but don't be worried. I ain't trying to build mystery. I'm trying to build a history with you. Where, because romance comes from history. Don't shake your head like that's corny. That was sexy at the time. I remember you were like, let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's make kids. <laughs> How many people know mystery's overrated? It's that history that brings romance. It's that story, that endurance, that the fact that we've been through some stuff and on the other side of it, we found out some stuff, not about each other, but about myself. And because you were willing to stick through in the journey and you were committed to the pathway, our history represents a story of romance that we can build upon. I'm all about history way more than mystery. And I dare say that that's the invitation that Jesus is extending to us. I feel like Jesus is over your mystery. I feel like Jesus is inviting the church and the believers to develop some history with him. You know, we've actually centered this whole sermon series around a scripture, uh, a passage of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount, an extended sermon, literally Jesus' longest recorded sermon, where he not only introduces kingdom culture, but also kingdom concepts that to the, to the hearers of that day challenge them, but not only the hearers of that day, but it's still challenging readers as we read it today. And last Sunday you heard Pastor Vance illuminate how Jesus calls us to, as followers, be both salt and light as we navigate life in this world, which is ultimately an incredible invitation when you think about it, because previously Jesus had declared that he is light. Then to declare that you are light is literally saying that you are an extension of me. And while it's an incredible invitation, I want you to hold that thought, while it's an incredible invitation, that's actually a little bit too mild 
Because more than an invitation, it's an actually an indication of what is a true follower of Jesus. That it's not an invitation to be salt or to be light. It's a declaration of what indicates what a true follower is, that you are salt in this world, that you are light in the world. It's a great litmus test to identify, am I a true disciple, a true disciple of Jesus? And so make no mistake, when read correctly, this section of Scripture holds some of the most challenging chapters in the Bible because it confronts the, the premise and the purpose of our Christian confession. This passage that, the sermon, I guess, that Jesus preaches. For example, in a section in my Bible labeled True Disciples, Jesus reveals that not everyone who confesses him as Lord will make it to heaven. That stings. That's, that's right. That's right. Confession alone doesn't guarantee heaven entrance. Can I let us simmer just for a second? I'm, I'm not sure if you're feeling the sting of the scripture like I was feeling as I've been digging into this. That, that confession alone doesn't guarantee heaven entrance. On the day of judgment, that, that there is a moment where what will be judged is something more than what you confessed. In fact, to make it even a little more dramatic, what we see is that he goes uncomfortably deeper than that. And he says, and let me use his words, he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You know what's potent about this scripture? This ain't one of the apostles. This is Jesus. You know, merciful Jesus, kind, meek Jesus. I don't know what image you have of Jesus. Maybe you have a softly spoken image of Jesus. I have a very rowdy understanding of Jesus. I have a Jesus who confronted and Jesus who spoke truth no matter what the repercussion would be or the expression from somebody else. He loved truth so much that he was willing to confront things and people right where they were at. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, what he speaks is truth. And this can even seem a little confronting. When, In fact, I actually consider this to be one of the most terrifying passages in all of Scripture. If I can preach it right to you today. I mean, if, if I'm reading this right... Jesus is saying that there's not just some, but many. It's what the scripture literally says. Many who on the day of judgment, who prophesied, who cast out demons, who even performed miracles and called and confessed on the name of the Lord Jesus won't make it. But, but, but pastor, I, I know what you're thinking. What about Romans 10.9? Romans 10.9 that talks about if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. What about that? Well, yeah, there's some power in the confession, but did you see the second part about belief? That is, the confession is a a flow on from the the belief, the belief in your heart, the belief. The believing part is the important part. This literally means there's no password that will guarantee eternity, okay? Are you still with me here? I don't know. 
I don't know where you went, church. Come on, I need you to be loud with me today. There's no, there's no password. There's no open sesame. There's, there's no, no wording or a confession that, that guarantees heaven. In fact, this life with Christ is less about a confession and it's more about a possession of God and the kingdom within your life. It's not just words that you speak, it's a life that you live. This is ultimately what Jesus is trying to relay in the Sermon on the Mount is he's like, there's a lot of Christian lingo out there. There's a lot of talk in the talk. But are you living? Has the, it's not about confession, but has the kingdom possessed you? Has it possessed your every thought? Has it possessed your every action? Is it literally at the forefront of the way that you live, not in addition to your life, that now some of my language has changed or maybe some of my behaviours have improved because I go to church on Sunday and because I sing songs and I have a confession, but am I possessed with this thing? Literally, have I changed the orientation of my life to pursue Christ and what He has for me? It's the premise of what, and it's radical stuff. It's what Jesus is preaching on the mount. See, Jesus was confronting what's, what's known as lip service. Lip service. A kind of Christian existence that has the vocabulary of, of, of things down, but, but not the belief system to back it. It comes with an emptiness. It's like a fruit that has bad, a tree that has bad fruit. So the tree's there, but why, what's coming out feels hollow, feels empty. It's like regurgitated Christian statements. Is this too heavy, too early? Can I, maybe I'll tell a funny story. I got funny stories I can pull out of every pocket. I'm telling you, I got. I know I've been away. I've been on a vision retreat. I'm coming back hot. I'm telling you, I'm like. Literally spent four days away in Santa Barbara on a prayer retreat this week. And I keep telling people like, oh, did you love prayer retreats? I said, prayer retreats are terrible. They are. If you ever, you've obviously never been on a prayer retreat. It is the most lonely thing you've ever been on. But it's meant to be lonely. So that you get to the point where you can't just rely on somebody else. You have to lean into God like never before and find a, a new weight on what it is to have Him and you only and to say, God, it's just us. I guess we're going to talk. So if I'm coming in a little hot, I'm sorry, I apologize. I, but I feel a deep desire within me like what Jesus did as he's preaching on the mount to get a little bit more radical for Jesus, to get a little bit more sincere about what it is to not just bear fruit that has no impact, but to produce something in people's lives that has lasting change. And so he talks about lip service. And talking about lip service, he's identifying, and I feel like he was not just speaking to that day, I feel like he's speaking today. We, we, we love Christian language, especially in social media and all you Facebook fanatics, the, 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 the people who love to regurgitate a, a faith statement or a quippy little, you know, sermonette on, 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 the, on the gram. I, I, know, I know what we like to do because it makes us feel good. Sometimes we, we live for something else that's going to feed us. Like, wait, come on, preachers, you've been a bit quiet on Instagram. I need, I need something for today. I need something. Give me a little pep in my step. Give me something. However, this is what Jesus was confronting he goes at lip service. It's, it's the wrong orientation. The question that he wants to ask you is, are you, are you sold out to kingdom service or is your faith about serving us? 
Is, is, is this community that you've been connected to, is the settings, the environment about serve us or is it service to God? Is, am I coming to God with what's, what do I need to do, God? How do I mobilize today? Or am I coming to the Word what I need? Definitely went a little over the line just then. Okay. <laughs> Turn around and back it up a bit, and we'll, we'll, we'll come at it from another angle. Because our, our orientation to faith is, is, is important. If I'm just looking at the Word of God for how it can help me, and don't get me wrong, I love reading the Word of God for revelation and what God wants to bring into my life and bless me with. And God has so much in His Word that will build you up, but if your sole occupation in approaching the Word of God is for you, you're missing the significance of what it is to be a true disciple, to be outworking it. Instead of just consuming the Word, is it commissioning me to go out into the world? And so preaching from the mount, Jesus draws a clear divide between those expecting to go to heaven when they leave earth and God's expectation that we would actively bring heaven to earth. And this is ultimately the difference, as I said, between lip service and kingdom service. In fact, Jesus warns, and it's a harsh truth. He says, there will be many that he will turn away saying, I, I, never, I never knew you. You see, knowing about God is not the same as knowing God or being known by God is different. Knowing about God means I can probably fire off some Bible verses, even thank him during an award speech. But knowing God means we actually know his ways, that we know his wants, and that we know his will. These, these are, would be three categories that would define whether I know God. Do I know his ways? Do I know God's wants and, and, and ultimately do I know his will? Three elements that I would say in Jesus reveals what is a, a true disciple. So let's map this out for a moment together, starting with what it means to know his ways. Can we go on a little teaching? This is actually the easiest element of knowing God simply because it's spelled out in text. You have the Bible and the Bible reveals the ways of God. The Bible gives us incredible insight into the ways of God through the actions and the interactions of Jesus. In fact, John 5.19 puts it this way. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. So essentially what we can see through the way Jesus conducted himself and through the way he ministered and through the way he spoke becomes a model for us to know God and, and, and act like God intuitively. For instance, we can see in the stories throughout the Bible, we, we see in the story of the woman caught in adultery, the way Jesus forgives. We, we see the tomb of Lazarus, the way Jesus loves. We see through the cross, the way Jesus was obedient even unto death. We see the way that God acts through Scripture. And as you immerse yourself in Scripture, what you are going to get is a clear indication of the ways of God through essentially the life of Jesus. In fact, knowing God's ways are not just knowing the way God acts, but knowing the way God thinks. 
That's what the prophet Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 55 when he said, for, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What, what we get from Scripture is an understanding that, that the ways of God are actually a revealer of His thoughts. Wow. That you can begin to understand the very thoughts of God, the nature of God's thoughts toward you ultimately, but also towards the earth. So the core of His message as Jesus is preaching on the mount, he, he was illuminating the way things work in heaven as opposed to the way things worked on earth. If you want to do, do a good summary of the Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to draw the, the parallels. He's trying to draw the dichotomy that this is how it happens here, but this is how it happens there. Which then he leads to the point where he says, so pray like this, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he prays that prayer towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount because before it, he gives a whole indication of what heaven's like. So pray like that happened here. And he does it primarily through a series of but I say statements. Are you, are you with me? Let, let's, let's use our screens. Let's go. Let's, let's put up on, on that screen. Let's go up Matthew 5.21 because in Matthew 5.21, it says this, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder that's the way it's done on earth. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to that judgment. It's tough. Anybody been angry lately? Murderers. <laughs> Let's go to the center screen, put up Matthew 20, 527. Matthew 527, it says, you have... Heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus. Let's go again, this screen. Same chapter, verse 38. Everyone's so nervous now. Everyone's like, oh, please stop. I think there's only three screens. Verse 38, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, off the other cheek also. Really? This is, this is what it means to elevate. Jesus is taking the idea of what it's like on earth, but, but let me show you from heaven. Let me show you from heaven. And if you feel... Like what Jesus is doing is not only elevating the way that we'd been conditioned to think under the law, you would, you would be right in also thinking that Jesus made it tougher. He's like, oh, you were living by this standard. And the reason he did it, because it was almost attainable. The Pharisee had almost achieved that standard of living. Therefore, in their mind, they had obtained righteousness. So Jesus meets them at the level of their own perfection it says, oh, you thought murder was bad. I say even anger is just as bad. You say adultery is bad. I say lust is just Like literally Jesus elevates it because what was almost possible, he wanted to make impossible. Now the reason Jesus wanted to make it impossible is so that all the people hearing didn't say, well, I can't do this. This is impossible. Let me get out. Peace. Good for you. I think maybe some of you could do it, but yeah, I'm out. I am waiting. No, he wasn't trying to draw a delineation of the people in the crowd, but a delineation that you can't do this on your own. You need me. You need me. 
you need me. You thought that if it was merely possible that you might be able to obtain it. I'm trying to tell you the way I want to work is that you are fully reliant on me. See, God's way isn't that you would do it. God's way is that you would trust Him to do it for you. That you would put your complete trust in Christ, realizing that in my own and of my own accord, it is completely and utterly impossible. In other words, I cannot save myself. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. See, I'm pretty good with murder. Pretty, pretty confident. I could live my whole life without murder. But anger? Can't go a day. That's why I need Jesus. This is the way God works. He he elevates our dependence on Him. He wants to elevate the promote the idea of grace, that grace isn't just a mild condition. Grace helped you when you were utterly alone and utterly helpless and utterly outside of what you could do for yourself. God said, let me come in my grace. In fact, when you know His ways, it actually reveals His wants. So God doesn't want us to do it in our own strength. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to do it for us. He wants to save us. He wants to help us. God wants us to know His grace. And knowing God's wants, please don't get this wrong, it's not that God wants anything. He, it's not so much what He wants, it's what He wants for us. I shall not want. And the reason I shall not want is because there's things that God wants for me. So I don't want what I can get. I want what God's got for me. I want what God wants for me. Are you with me? Because my wants are going to be less and lower than God's wants for me. And so when we talk about God's ways, revealing God's wants, what God wants is what is ultimately for your benefit. And some things that God wants, you need to know this. I've got to just run through this because I'm going to run out of time. God wants me to prosper, Jeremiah 29, 11. God wants me to be free, John 8, 36. You can write these down and... You digest them later. God wants me to be confident, Ephesians 3.12. God wants me to be generous, Matthew 10.8. And ultimately, there's a long list of things that God wants for me. And when you know what God wants for you, that's when you can actually begin to do His will. Are you with me? Just checking in. It's a heavy sermon. It's about to get better. It's good news on the other side, trust me. Because it's good to know God's ways. And when I know God's ways, it reveals His wants, what He wants for me. And when I know what He wants for me, it's very easy to know His will for my life. See, will becomes, God's will becomes an elusive thing when you don't know His ways and you don't want, know what God wants. But when you know His ways and you know what He wants, the very will of God becomes evident through the way God is working in your life. It becomes an easy thing to understand exactly what God wills. I'm talking instinctively in every situation. I, being married to Kira for 20 years, I know instinctively things that she wants. I know what she will choose in situations. In fact, this week I was in Santa Barbara and I was just in line for a coffee. And Cafe Kira wasn't with me. And, and as I was looking at what I'm going to order, there was a couple behind me, uh, an older couple. And he was behind me and, she, and his wife was at the pastry counter looking at the pastries. And he said this statement, he says, hey, honey, what are you going to choose and tell me why it's a donut? (laughs) She looked back so mad, she said, I will not choose a donut. He literally leaned over to me and he said, she'll get a donut. (laughs) I thought, this is on, this is amazing. This is a really great example. 
And so I get my coffee and I just kind of sit back waiting for it. And sure enough, she orders a donut. And I thought it was incredible because he was, he, he was literally putting out that I know instinctively what you're going to do. We've spent time together. We've been married for a minute. Like, like you can go ahead and look at all the options, but time and time again, it's proven you're going to go for that donut. Like, this is literally my life with Kira. I know exactly. She tries to be mysterious, but I know her. She ain't got mystery. She got history. See, this is what it means to know God's will. I don't need to get from a blank canvas wondering what God wants to do with my life. I've seen the way. I've seen the way He's moved. I've seen how He's worked in my life, and now I already know how He's going to work again. We've got a history. We've got a history. We've got a history together. It's instinctively, I, 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 when, I, when, I, when I know the ways of God, I, I get a clearer indication of the will of God. I want to suggest that this is the pathway to becoming a true disciple. Not, not wondering what is God's will for my family or my business or my life, but ultimately being confident in God's will because I know exactly the way he's worked before, so that will illuminate the way he's gonna work again. Is this pace okay for everybody? Just looking for enough nods to get the permission to keep moving forward. However, simply knowing these things doesn't make you a true disciple. Just knowing God's will doesn't make you what Jesus refers to as a true disciple. In fact, let me show, read it to you again. It says in verse 21, not everyone... Who cook, I keep reading this because it's, it's still shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Then everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father, there it is. Only those who actually, can we put, can we put verse 21 back up of chapter 7? Can we go back there real quick? Uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 21. I want to make sure we get this. I don't know if the team have got it. There we go. Okay. There we go. Those, only those, right in the middle there, only those who actually. <laughs> I like that you're filling in the blanks. <laughs> those who actually do the will. Not those who know God's will. See, we, we've put our marker on do I know God's will? Do you know God's will for your life? Do you know God's will? Do you, and we're so frantically trying to know God's will when Jesus again elevates it. Knowing God's will, you think that's the goal? Doing God's will is the goal. I'm not banking heaven entrance on those who know the will because there are many people who know God's will and aren't doing a flipping thing about it. But, but can you actually more than just know it, can knowing God's will motivate you to walk out His will in your life and be a true disciple? This is tough preaching. I'm trying to do it with a smile on my face. preach up in the balcony section. <laughs> Knowing is one thing. Doing is the emphasis. In true fashion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to, trying to commend people. It's great that you want to know my will, but I'm asking who's going to do it. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? This is exactly what makes a true disciple. This is what James stresses in his letter with the clear instruction. James 1 verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word. And not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Can, you, can we just catch the language of what James is trying to communicate here? He, he's literally inviting us, can you be doers of the word, not just hearers? Because just hearers alone are deceiving yourself. 
What are you deceiving yourself? You're deceiving that you're going just fine. The, at least I know. I, I heard the word. Well, cool, hearing it alone is deceiving yourself. James is instructing us, be doers of it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a, in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he even looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I just want to make sure you're seeing the same thing I'm reading. Let me read verse 25 again. This has got some potency to it. But, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. What James is revealing is the essence of what makes a true disciple, a doer who acts, not an actor who do. There's too many actors is what James is saying. Too many actors, too many people who know the language, who know the talk, who love the community. And the community's great. But it's more than just a community. It's more than just an activity that you attend or go to. What, what, Je what Jesus and James are trying to elevate in Scripture is there is this thing that has to take over your life that reorients you where it's not just about being blessed by what you hear. The blessing comes from when you do, when you act it out. <sighs> not, not just be an actor. Scripture savage. The unfortunate reality is that there are, there are a lot of actors doing the motions and the rhythms and the routines of this Christian life rather than people acting on the Word of God and doing what God commands us. I'm not even literally intending this to be a, a solemn sermon. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to even bring conviction. I'm just letting the Word of God do the work because I feel like more than move you or emotionally compel you, I, I do believe what God is looking for is we move as a church into a new space and into a new era and into 10 years that we don't just land here and get comfortable and become fat Christians hearing the Word of God and being comforted and, and conditioned and, and again consuming the Word of God, but not actually being moved by the Word of God. I've been telling people for the last, what has it been, eight months now, we've been trying to get into this building, trying to get into this building. The moment we got in, I'm shift. I'm trying to get you out of the building now. I'm trying to get you out into your world to be doers of the Word of God, not just take up a seat and be feeders on the Word, but, but let it do something in your life. That we would reach our worlds because we, we understand the Word of God. The bringing heaven to earth isn't a worship service. Heaven to earth isn't a moment in music. There are moments in God's presence that are powerful, but those moments equip us to walk out in power. Not just to sit in it. Not just to rest in it. Scripture savage. Believe it or not, doing God's will is actually simple. This is the good news. Doing God's will is simple. It's Simply being an extension of Jesus. Write this down if you can. There are two things that are meant to extend 
we are meant to extend, sorry, as true disciples. We're, ex- we're called to extend heaven on earth and we're called to extend the invitation to Jesus. Firstly, we, we extend heaven through displaying the attributes of heaven as ambassadors on earth. That, that's, how we, that's how we extend heaven. For instance, it looks like a group of people who model kindness, who model generosity, who model faith, who model hope, who model authority, who model and walk out their convictions into every sitting. I'm talking about business leaders. I'm talking about parents. I'm talking about literally grabbing a hold of your mind and saying, what am I modeling in the world? Am I I receiving things on a Sunday? Am I receiving things from my time with God, but I forget them the moment I go out into a place where I can put them into practice? Or am I still aware because I didn't just look in a mirror and forget who I was? I looked in the Word of God. I saw who I'm called to be, and I walked out in authority. That I began to walk out in anointing. I began to walk out with my giftings. I began to walk out reminded each and every moment who I am in Christ. I'm not like a person who looks in a mirror and forgets what they look like and angry and bitter and upset like everybody else? Or am I rising above it and elevating it from a heavenly perspective that I'm going to run my business like an agent of heaven? I'm going to run my family like an ambassador of heaven. I'm going to engage in my career like I have the authority of heaven and walk it out as a doer of the Word of God. As a doer, as a doer, as a doer. To extend that, extending the invitation is the other aspect. As a true disciple, is one who moves from asking God for what He's got and offering God what you've got. <laughs> this is what it means to be a true disciple. To, to, to move beyond, God, give me. God, give me. God, give me peace. God, give me rest. God, give me these things. God will give you those things. He gave them to you the moment you came into salvation. He says, every spiritual blessing you have been given in Christ Jesus. Stop asking for God to give. Say, God, let me give what I got. I got a career. I got an influence. I've got some things that God, I want. We've got so many believers who keep their thing and then do God's thing over here. There, there is this. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to look at the floor. That's what I'm going to look at. I'm just. We've got so many believers who have got their influence and their platform and their career and their thing and say, well, that's, I don't want to lose that thing. So God, I'll, I'll do your thing on this day. That does not mean a true disciple. A true disciple sees that everything I have came from God. So God, let me give back to you everything that I've got for you to use as a vehicle to bring heaven to earth. If it's a career, if it's a social media influence, I don't care what the thing is, but God, let it be a thing that you use to do something mighty within this world. God, if I got a career, you can work through it. God, if I got some gifts, let them glorify you. If I got finances or a platform or my influence, could it could it honor you, God? What would it look like to offer your whole life in service for God? To to use the things of God to not to serve us, but to come in service. Like many of you, I'm sure you over the last few days have been moved by the life of Queen Elizabeth. I kind of been 
doing what I can to keep up and I was off social media and I'm trying to catch up and it's been amazing to watch just some of the, the quotes that have come out from things and statements and declarations she's read, Christmas greetings she's given and different orientations from her life. And there was this one that I've been furiously trying to look for and make sure that it's legitimate source. But there's this one apparent quote in particular that's difficult to verify since it emerged from a chaplain in the abbey where the queen would frequent. It wasn't a recorded quote from the queen. It was a recited conversation that one of the chaplains had as the queen was talking with the archbishop. And she said that she wished the Lord would return in her lifetime. When he asked Her Majesty why she felt such a desire, she said, I should so love to lay down my crown at his feet. To use what she had to God, to give to God. It's amazing to me when I read that and I heard that, that you've got someone in such a position of power that is willing to use their God, what they have in service for God, but we have got little things that we don't want to give to God. We've got our 400 followers we don't want to give to God. We've got... <laughs> I'm just playing, <laughs> but it's kind of real. Got your amazingly important career and your position that you hold at your company that you won't give to God. But instead of glorifying God, you'll glorify a system that determines that you've got to say a certain way and speak about people a certain way and I'll glorify that and I'll be obedient to that. But will I be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's put on my life? Oh man, this is... Who's preaching next week? They'll be nicer, they'll be... I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be overly convicting. I'm, a, I'm just trying to be a mouthpiece for the compulsion of Jesus to call people to be true disciples. That I truly believe that God is looking for those who will say, God, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm not just adding you to my life. You are my life. I'm not just trying to add a vocabulary of confession. I want to be possessed by the heaven and the purpose of God in and through my life. I want to be an agent and ambassador for God. So God, if there's any area in me that I've held back, would you have it? Be a true disciple. Would you stand to your feet? I do have to finish. I'm not even sure how you want to respond to that. I'm honestly not even sure It's not even the way I usually preach. I'm not even sure how you want to respond to that, but I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to move upon your heart. I'm literally inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And what does that mean for your life? As you put a litmus test, am I a hearer alone and not a doer? Am I someone who consumes and not someone who's commissioned? Have I used the word to serve me rather than in service to God? I don't know what element of this Word that God is speaking to you, but I do want to invite you to respond to Jesus, to respond to the Holy Spirit. That maybe God is saying, hey, we've stayed at the same level for too long. We need to go deeper now. You've camped out at a comfortable place. Now we need to get a little more uncomfortable so I can move through your life and be in a place where it's not about this comfortable snuggie that Christianity is for you, but a confrontation every day that I'm salt and light in the world. I'm different.
I need the grace of God to help me. I believe that if there is conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will impress upon your heart. The Holy Spirit will compel you to respond. So maybe you could just close your eyes and I could pray a prayer that you could make personal for you. That in this atmosphere of God's presence, whether you're here, you're in Oakland, one of our other locations that are streaming today, I pray that the Word would come strong into your heart. That it wouldn't be a Word that causes you to feel condemned, but it would be a Word that would cause you to feel compelled to go, God, I want what You've got for my life. I don't want anything less than all that You have. I don't want anything short of the full glory that You wanna work out and work in and work through my life. So God, if there's something I've got, God, would You take it? Would You have it? Would You have Your way in my life? I wanna be a true disciple. I wanna be one that bears fruits. I don't wanna be one that just hears and forgets. I wanna be one that works and does the will of God. Not because I'm a works-based believer, but because of Your grace that has empowered me to walk out this life empowered the good news of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray right now for each and every person that is responding to an element of Your Word right now. Lord, I pray that it would be watered by Your Holy Spirit. That as the seed right now is not being rejected, but it's being planted in the soil of their heart, would You water it by Your Spirit? Would You breathe upon it? Breathe life into it? The Lord, out of this fruit would begin to emerge we'd begin to see fruit in our lives. We'd begin to see fruit around our lives. Lord, that we would begin to see Lord, lives transformed, that we would not walk through this life wondering if we're having an impact. We would be so convinced that my life is leaving a legacy on this earth, one of kingdom glory, one of the fact that Jesus rules and reigns and it's evidence through my life that I can stand before heaven with full conviction as a true disciple. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.